0: Good morning. I hope that everybody is doing well this morning. Uh, I don't know about you but I feel like I could leave church right now and still say I was blessed this morning. True? Amen. Amen. So today we're continuing on in our series The Grave Robber and I wanted to start this morning with a story about a man and this man's name was Dr. Halverson. Now Dr. Halverson was a U.S. senator but before that he served as a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Bethesda, Maryland for 23 years. And so he did a lot of things as pastor, from marrying to burying to everything in between. But this man believed that his greatest function as a pastor was the benediction that he gave after every service. The benediction, went as followed, it said, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you, and wherever you are, God puts you there. Wherever you go, God is sending you, and wherever you are, God puts you there. When I was 14 years old, I got the privilege to travel with the Academy of Arts, which is a program based out of Greenville, South Carolina. And the whole um, program was this theater company. And so we toured the southern states, um, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina. And we put on this show that was called Raise the Flag. And it was all about how the Constitution and our founding fathers were based upon the Word of God. And um, it was a really great opportunity and an awesome experience, and I got to do a lot of pretty cool things, um, but my favorite memories from that time um, weren't the things you would expect. Um, They were the quiet moments with the team where we got to share our hearts with each other, where we got to have devotion and grow with each other. There were the moments where we were at our uh, homeowners who were hosting us house, eating around a dinner table, listening to family stories and them tell about memories and things that they had experienced as a family. And and there was one particular family that we were especially fond of. Uh, It was a family that hosted us when we were in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, I was really grateful because we stayed there for a a big sum of our summer tour, and it was really close to the beach, um, and the people were just truly amazing people, Uh, The mother and father both worked at a Christian university. Uh, They were God-fearing people, churchgoers, and they had a son. And their son's name was Andrew. Now, Andrew was 15 years old, so he was about the same age as me. And to just be really honest with you, he was a total knucklehead. Uh, (laughs) Me and Andrew did not get along when when I first met him. And uh, actually, the very first day that we were staying with them, I remember I was eating out of this bowl, and it was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle bowl. And uh, his mom came into the room, and she just started shaking her head because she knew that I was about to get it for eating out of Andrew's bowl. Um, but he did not want us there at first. Um, but through time and, and growing to know one another, and going through those funny moments, um, we actually became pretty good friends. And he opened up to me one night about the fact that he didn't believe in God. And so you see this kid who is living in this Christian home with these parents who are heavily involved at a Christian university, and You'd never expect something like this, you know? And so I just started talking to him. It was my first opportunity that God gave me at 14 to to just share my heart and why I believed in God. And um, a few of the other members of the team were older than me, and they also shared their story and talked to them about why God had made a difference in their life and why it was important to have that relationship. And time went on, and it came to a head one night when we were watching The Passion of the Christ. And following many tears, um, Andrew gave his life to the Lord. And it was truly an incredible moment. The reason that I'm, I'm telling you this story, though, this morning is because a few months later, after that summer trip, um, we found out that Andrew was suffering from chronic headaches. And so we went into the doctor's office and got an MRI, and Andrew had stage four brain cancer at the age of 15. A few more months progressed, and Andrew passed away by the time he turned 16. Now, as tragic and as horrible as that story is, and as hard as it is for me to stand up here and tell you that story, his mom wrote to our team after that. And I'll never forget what she said. She started by saying, thank you. Thank you. She said, because of you, I have peace, and I know that my son is in heaven with the Lord. And my point of saying that story is not to brag on anything that we did, because it wasn't anything that we did. God had positioned us in that place for a purpose. And so, so often in our life, we don't know what God is doing, but he is setting us up to do something miraculous. I believe that he's doing that for each of us in our lives, and I want to look at that this morning. You see, Kent talked about last week how there's miracles and everything, but today I want to look at these divine appointments that we have so often in our life. Those moments where we, we meet people that we can't just call coincidence, you know, we see that all throughout scripture as sort of a, a sub-context, but I believe that for li- li- living spirit-led lives, for living spirit-led lives, that it won't just be a sub-culture or context in scripture, but in our own lives. Also this morning, I want to talk about a truth that I think we all need to try to grasp is that you are someone else's miracle. You are someone else's miracle. And I think if we can buy into that this morning, it can truly be a game-changer so before we get into scripture, would you pray with me? Dear Lord, just thank you for giving us this opportunity to get together as a family. God, thank you for the celebration of life that we have today as we celebrate Miss Myrtle's birthday. And God, what a life she must have lived up until this point, And I'm sure she's still to live. And God, greater than that, we celebrate the life that you've given us, the eternal life. And Lord, this morning we believe that. You have promises, and you have things that you want to tell us, and you have a word for us. And so, Lord, like Lindsay said, you know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Would you fill us and fill our hearts and and reveal to us exactly what you want us to hear through this message? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we're going to be reading through uh, John, where we left off, in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to John chapter 4, and we're going to read through verses 46 through 54. Uh, I'm going to read through it and then kind of go back and break down parts of it. So starting in verse 46, it says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, and they're talking about Jesus here, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum there is a royal official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed. And all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, as we look at this this whole text, um, I want to start right off the bat from the very beginning. In verse 46, it says, "So he came again to Cana." So he came again to Cana. I don't know if everybody here knows this, but I actually grew up in this church. Uh, I spent a lot of my my youth and my childhood running around terrorizing some of you. And uh, believe it or not, I even convinced Gary Anderson to stay in his class for like three years. I'm pretty sure I was in third grade when he was teaching a kindergarten Sunday school class. Nobody can make a block tower like Gary Anderson, just let me tell you. But you guys built into me and spoke truth into my life. And I never imagined at that point in my life that I would come back and be a part of a staff here and serve in this capacity. You know, I never thought that I would be serving with my child choir director and Pam, you know. I never imagined that I would get to serve alongside of my youth pastor who had spoken truth into my life so many times in high school and helped me through things and experiences. And uh, so my senior year when I was interning here, and then the summer after my freshman year, I was given these opportunities to learn what it was like to serve at a church like this. You know, to to serve with people who were truly God-centered and and focused on a common goal. And I got a taste for it, and I loved it, and I had this passion for it. But God was still calling me to Campbellsville. I was still at the university at that time and on campus, and I just knew I had to go back. And so after my summer internship, after freshman year, I started my sophomore year at Campbellsville. And that just so happened to be the semester where it kind of felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath of me. I dealt with some things in my personal life that were more difficult than anything I've ever had to deal with, and I questioned, you know, I was thinking to God, you know, why are you doing this? There's so many things here that are undone. You know, I was building relationships and trying to help with ministries and and things like that, and so I didn't understand why God, it felt like he was pulling me back home. And so after that semester I did, I, I came home and I felt defeated almost. You know, I felt like I had failed people, and I had walked away from relationships and ministries, and so I was confused. I didn't understand what God was doing. At the same time, it just so happened that the Northern Kentucky Baptist Association was in need of a director of missions, and they were looking for somebody to fill that role, and it just so happened that one of the people they wanted to fill that role was Jim Woolums, who at the time was serving here as the director of outreach. And so all the while, God is preparing my heart for something I didn't realize he was preparing it for. Uh, I got a job at a gas station and talk about learning humility. Um, It was definitely a lesson for me, but it was a lesson that I needed for the ministry that I'm in right now. And so fast forward a little bit, and I I can still remember the first Sunday after I'd been hired on staff here at the church. Me sitting with my family in like the fifth pew back where we usually sit. We had to move back from Miss Myrtle today, but um, I still remember sitting there and and being led into the invitation and Kent singing I Surrender All and having this holy flashback moment to the time that I walked down this very aisle and looked at Terry Wilder and said man I want to surrender my heart to you as a child to the song I Surrender All. You see God had put me back in a place to remember the miracle that he had done in my life so many years ago See, the, the miracle in the story is that God worked in spite of the situation and circumstance to bring me to the place that I'm at. But the true point of my message, the, the true point of the story here is that I had to go back to Cana. I had to go back to a place where God did something undeniable in my life. And I think that's something that we all have to do at times. We have to go back to that place and hit our knees and allow God to renew us and refresh us and restart that faith that he sparked in us maybe a long time ago. If I'm Lazarus, I'm going to go put flowers on my grave. If I'm Zacchaeus, I'm going to go climb that sycamore tree. If I'm Paul, I'm going to hop on my horse and ride to the road of Damascus where God knocked me off my horse and changed my life. If I'm Peter, I'm going to row out on that boat where I walked on water. If I'm Elijah, I'm going to go back to Mount Carmel where I defeated 450 prophets by the power of God. If I'm Moses, I'm going to go back to the burning bush where God called me to lead a nation. If I'm Jesus, I'm gonna go back to Cana. Now, some of you guys are going, oh no, Jesus is in his own category, Jesus is God. And while I believe that's true, I also believe that facts are facts. And scripture tells us that Jesus went back to Cana. And I don't believe in coincidence, I believe in providence. I don't believe in coincidence, I believe in providence. You see, I believe that there was still some residual evidence in Cana of the miracle that Jesus had performed. And it's impossible to deny the power The power of Jesus in the face of the the miraculous, in the face of what he's already done in our life. One of the reasons why I love praying at this altar is because I'm constantly reminded every time I pray at that altar of the miracles that have taken place in this church. You know, I think I can look around and, and understand that many of you have visited this very same altar and God has changed your life. God has worked a miracle. And I don't know if it was something, you know, financial or a health reason or a family problem, but but God has worked miraculous things in your life. And sometimes we have to go back to Cana. We have to go back to the place to remember the power that he has. And so where do you have to go back to? This morning, what is your Cana? Where is that place that God radically changed your life? And do you need to go back to have that flame reignited this morning? I want to go and start breaking down parts of this scripture Um, in verse 46 we see that it says at Capernaum there was a royal official whose son was ill and I want to give you a little backstory on the royal official now in in first century Israel your royal officials and your uh, itinerant Jewish rabbis they didn't mix. Uh, They didn't walk in the same social circles. They didn't friend each other on Facebook. Uh, They didn't follow each other on Twitter or like each other's Instagrams. They didn't mix. And so it would be like a Cincinnati Bengals fan and a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Okay, they just didn't get along. They didn't go over to each other's houses. They intentionally avoided each other. But we see in this story a man who will do anything for his son, even to the point of humbling himself before the creator of heaven and earth because he needed a miracle. And I wish I had more time to, to expand on this because it's awesome how the script seems to flip here in the story. You see, the person in power, the person who had more authority here technically was the political person in charge, which was the royal official. But you see, the royal official understood that there was a greater authority. And so he went to Jesus who had God behind him. So another question for you this morning is, who is the royal official in your life? Who is that person who might have a greater position of authority here on this earth? Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's an older person in your community. I don't know who it is, but if you're a Christian, expect fully that that person is going to come knocking on your door someday. Because while you might think you want what they have, they need what you've got. And right now, God is working in you to put you in a position to be someone else's miracle. To be someone else's miracle. Continuing in the scripture, it says... When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. And I think so often we read that and we just read and and breeze right over it. But I think it's important for us to, to truly look at that and understand what it's saying here. You see, Capernaum was 20 miles from Cana. And we know that Capernaum was also 700 feet below sea level. So not only was it 20 miles, it was 20 miles uphill, probably through some rough terrain. But still, that royal official made that hall. And so, you don't have a spot for this on your outline, but if you're taking notes, write this to the side. I believe this morning, sometimes faith is measured in miles. Sometimes faith is measured in miles. I believe that it took 20 miles of faith here in this story. You know, I I think that God has brought together an amazing team, an amazing group of people here at this church and uh, we heard last week Brother Kent bring an amazing message outside of his comfort zone. But he did a great job, and more importantly, his heart is so pure and so genuine. But something you might not know about Kent is that he doesn't live around here. Uh, in order to do his ministry, he drives approximately 110 miles every day. He lives up in Goshen, Ohio. And so when you do the math there, for the amount of time that Ken has been serving on staff here at Burlington Baptist Church, he's driven approximately... 209,664 miles and he's not done I promise you that I would say that he's driven 209,664 miles in faith now I don't want to lose you but in the book The Grave Robber there's a story about a man named Paul Anderson and Paul Anderson was praying for this little boy who needed a kidney transplant And the reason that he was praying for him is because he felt like God had put on his heart that he was supposed to give his kidney to this child. So this man began circling the Baptist Hospital in Oklahoma City. It was a one-mile lap, and the story goes that he did this 350 times. I would say that there was 350 miles of faith there. But it goes further. This man noted that he burned 43,750 calories while he was praying about this kidney that's approximately 12.5 pounds that this man lost while praying about this kidney how awesome is that you're praying for a miracle and losing weight win-win but i would say that there was 12.5 pounds of faith there that little boy got his kidney a miracle was done See, these aren't just stories. Right now, there are people who are going 8,000 miles across America on a bike or hiking, praying for the states. Right now, there's a pastor who threw his church staff in a band and said, we're going to go pray for revival. And so they've driven thousands of miles across five different states praying for that revival. All across our nation and all across the countries, we have missionaries who are passing borders and seas to spread the word of God, who are stepping out into faith who are tracking miles. And I don't want you to hear me saying that I think you can earn miracles in your life because we can't. We can't manipulate God and we can't earn miracles any more than we can earn our salvation. But what I'm saying is while our actions can't create miracles, sometimes our inactions prevent them. Sometimes our lack of action prevents them. Don't miss this, guys. In the story, if the the royal official wouldn't have made that trek to Cana, he would have missed out on the miracle. He would have missed the miracle. And and scripturally, it tells us that sometimes we have to put our feet to the ground. In scripture, we see the Israelites circling Jericho seven times. We see Naaman having to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. We see Elijah praying for the rain seven times. And while I don't think seven is a magic number, I do believe that sometimes God calls us to do the natural so that he can do the supernatural in our life. God calls us to do what only we can do so that He can do what only He can do. Sometimes we have to actually move. There's a popular phrase in the, in the Christian church, and I think we get the first part of it really, really well. And that phrase is this Pray like it depends on God, work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God, work like it depends on you. Now, I know I'm really, really good at that first part. God, I need a miracle. God, I really need this right now. And then I kind of look at my watch and days go by and I start getting frustrated because nothing's happened. And so I just click on my Netflix thinking that this is just going to fall in my lap. I feel like so many of us do that. But God sometimes is calling us into action. Sometimes he's calling us for that 20 mile trek or for that over 200,000 mile trek for his purpose. And that action is going to serve as a catalyst for a miraculous event in your life or someone else's. You know, some people might think that grace is opposed to effort because grace is God's free gift to man. But grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. It's opposed to earning. You see, earning is an attitude, but effort is an action. Effort is an action. Sometimes God is calling us into action, and maybe He's calling us into action this morning. Continuing on in the scripture, it says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now I want to talk a little bit about what that means. The man believed the word. The man believed the word. Um, I want to tell you guys right off the bat that this morning what you needed was not a sermon. You didn't need a sermon, but you did need a word from God. You did need a word from God. And while you can hear that through a sermon, I think that it's bigger than that. Uh, I want to share another story with you. Um, Before my freshman year of college, I was trying to get ready for it and I was trying to prepare. And so I was watching some sermons online and I remember hearing this sermon that kind of just punched me in the face. You know those messages where the whole time you're like, yes, that's good, amen, and, and you're writing stuff down, and you're trying to store it away for later, and it was a story on the character of Paul, and you know, I've heard messages about Paul before, and I've read his letters, obviously, and, and I've, I've looked at Paul, but I never saw him in the light that I saw him after listening to this message. You know, this was a man who truly understood what it meant to be a Christ follower, He went through all of this suffering and all of this pain, and it was almost like he was this bleeding heart, spreading love, but also while hurting and having this thorn in his flesh, but he had managed to find a way to find joy in his circumstance. And I remember hearing this message and just saying, man, I want to be like that. I don't want to be just talk. I want to be action too. I want to be able to walk the walk. And so I remember storing that in my back pocket, and fast forward a couple months, and I'm sitting in my pastoral care and counseling class, And my professor liked to do this thing called a fishbowl because he was a jerk. Um, (laughs) And this thing was basically a mock counseling uh, session, but the entire class got to watch and grade you. So every kid's best uh, dream or nightmare. And uh, so I'm sitting there in this mock counseling session, and I'm the counselor in this uh, instance. I'm talking to this counselee, and the thing about these uh, fishbowls were sometimes these stories were actually true. And it was up to the person who was the counselee at the time whether or not that story was true or not. And so we go through this whole thing and she starts talking to me about how she's struggling and how she's been suffering and and really fighting with God and doubting him. And I have a light bulb moment, you know. Oh, I have some stuff. It's not mine, but it's good. And so I just start sharing with her what I had heard a few months back in this message and and hoping that it would encourage her. And after class, uh, this girl came up to me And hugged me with tears in her eyes and said man I've been searching and I've been longing to understand why I'm in the circumstance that I'm in and for the first time I understand so thank you and I'm not saying that to brag on myself because I looked at her and I said well truth be told that wasn't my my words at all actually it was just the words of another guy that I heard a few months ago and she stopped me and she said no she said those words were a word from God You see, she understood what it meant to receive a word from God. Guys, we all need that word. So what's your word this morning? What is God trying to tell you? See, we can't receive the word of God unless we are in the word of God. And in Matthew, it says, In the beginning was the word, and God was with the word, and God was the word. You see, God became the word in flesh. And we can grow closer in him if we we listen to Scripture It says in John chapter 15 verse 7, Abide in me as my words abide in you, and whatever you ask, it shall be given to you. And so I think it's important for us to look at that word abide. Abide in me as my words abide in you. You know, I know you guys didn't come in here for an English lesson today, but this is kind of cool. The word abide is a present imperative verb, which means continual action. Continual action. This isn't a one and done deal abide in the word basically what Jesus is saying is know me like I know you abide in me so I want to give you five practical definitions of the word abide the first one is abide means to stay overnight when was the last time you had an all-nighter with Jesus when was the last time where you couldn't sleep because you wanted a word for God from God so badly and you were crying out to him saying God I need to hear you To abide means to stay overnight. To abide means to hold fast. Basically what I think that means is to white knuckle the promises of God. To hold fast. Abide means to stand still. I'm going to stand still on the promises of God. No matter what the circumstances might be, no matter what might come my way, I'm going to stand still in his promises. Abide means to tarry. To tarry. Do we even understand that word in this culture anymore? But we see Jesus say that to the disciples. Basically, before the Great Commission can even happen, you better get your butt up in the upper room and hear a word from God and have the Holy Spirit change you so you can be effective when you go out to spread that gospel. To abide means to tarry. And lastly, to abide means to be moved. When you get a word from God, the Holy Spirit does something on your insides that pushes you into action, that animates you, that causes you to move. Maybe God is giving you a word right now and calling you to move and be someone else's miracle this morning. Lastly, closing in the scripture, I want to finish by by reading the last couple verses. It says, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So we asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, "Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him." The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, "Your son will live." And he himself believed in all of his household. See, what we read there in that end of that story is that it was important to this royal official the exact time, and he paid attention when Jesus said, "Your son shall live." He pulled out his sundial and he was checking what time it was and he was making sure that it matched because he wanted to know it, that in that moment, what time it was that the miraculous event of his son being made well happened. And I think all of us, if we look back, have documented times where God has done a miracle in our lives, that we've held on to during trying times, that we've gone back to as points of reference to remember how big God is. I can tell you the day that I gave my life to Christ. I could tell you the exact day that I got hired on staff here at the church. I could tell you the day that God brought my family back together after a season of brokenness. I could tell you about the time that God healed someone in my life, their physical body, in a miraculous way. I could tell you the exact date I received a phone call from a six-year-old little boy who had been bounced around from one foster home to the next who called me and said, Blake, I finally have a family. I can tell you about these events because they were the seventh hour for me. They were the moments that God revealed his power and his might in my life. And so I want you guys to know that you aren't here by accident this morning, but you're here by divine appointment. And if not, to hear a word and to to have a miraculous thing happen in your own life, but it's to set you up to be a miracle in someone else's. Are you willing to move? Are you willing to go back to Cana and be reminded and have that faith rekindled? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much right now for what you're doing in this church. God, you're working in spite of us so much. And Lord, you just continue to bless this place in each of us. And God, as we go back to our own Canas, as we go back to those places where you've, you've caused life change to occur, would you just reignite those fires in our heart and that faith that you once gave us? Lord, would you be able to, to move in this place in such a way that we leave this place And when a royal official comes knocking on our door, when that person of authority or higher power comes knocking at our door, we'll be able to say, listen, this is what God told me to tell you and speak truth into their life and be someone else's miracle. God, if there's a person in the room right now today who doesn't know you, would you open their eyes and their heart to the greatest miracle of all? And that is that while we were still sinners, you died for us each of us. Lord, thank you for that grace. God, we know we don't always get it right. We know that it's easy to get bogged down by the the chaotic, hectic lifestyle that is just the everyday. But Lord, I, I just ask that right now you would remind us of how big you are, of how good you are, of how powerful you are and allow us to just go back to that place for our faith to be reignited. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So during this time of invitation, you guys can respond in any way you'd like. We've got the communion set up at both tables and you can come and celebrate the miracle of your life being changed by a holy God. Christ said in the upper room, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you remember that miracle today in your life? You can come up and you can pray at this altar, an altar that could tell you many stories of miracles that God has performed in this place. And it's not about the altar, but it's about who you're humbly submitting to at the altar. A God who holds all your problems and all your worries and all your fears and all your brokenness in the palm of his hand. If you need somebody to pray for you, I'll be down in the front. Whatever it is, just respond this morning. Would you stand and sing?